Welcome to Regulate Tech. This is our 25th episode with me, Nicholas Berlumblad, and with me, Richard Allen. So, Richard, I read in the news this week uh, that Google and Microsoft have uh, refused to renew the truce that they had on the policy and lobbying uh, area. I thought that was really interesting. I thought you had said something interesting, too, uh, that led me to believe that it might be a good opportunity for us to discuss how do you how do you work with other companies if you're in public policy? How yeah. do you work with other actors overall? Because it's not a it's not a two person game, is it? It, it certainly isn't, and and you know m- most of the issues that you share in a sector tend to be common issues, and yet sort of tech companies, and we've both experienced this. We've sort of ended up repeatedly, you know, and um, at odds with each other, and often very publicly. And as so you and I both. Um, you know, remember the times in Brussels where I think a lot of the trade associations that were supposed to represent the entire tech sector, they were either known as a Google trade association or a Microsoft trade association. They couldn't be both. It was, you know, it's ridiculous that, that we were sort of so divided. Um, yeah. And I do think that that actually, there is an interesting comparison with other industries where I, I think that, well, it's maybe my impression, people in those other industries may be listening to this and tell me this is all wrong. But the impression you get is that they present much more of a united front to policymakers. And I certainly have had that echo back to me from politicians to say, you know, I don't know what the hell you guys in the internet sector want because everybody who comes through my door is asking for a different thing and telling me that the other guys are terrible. And yet when the car industry comes through my door, you know, the car industry says, this is what the car industry needs, or the banking industry says, this is what the banking industry needs, you know, and yet somehow in tech, yeah, you know, we're, we're often, you know, splitting hairs, but we end up managing to present this very disunited front. Is it a maturity issue, you think, that we are still a young industry, the tech industry is a young industry, and, and there's a lot of competition, a lot of a very clear-cut sort of incumbent gets unseated by new entrant dynamic to technology that might not exist as as clearly in in the car industry. The the underlying technology changes so fast that you get this incumbent new entrant dynamic mm-hmm. that I wonder if you have in in say pharma where all of the innovation is outsourced to the edges of the network and then licensed or acquired when when it becomes interesting enough yeah i I think that's really interesting i think we could probably and we should explore cutting it in sort of various different ways to try and understand these these dynamics and one certainly is an incumbent challenger model and again we we talked about you know brussels just now and microsoft and google shops but when you looked at the telecom sector they had separate trade associations for the incumbent telecoms operators and the and the challenger ones and 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 both of them sort of presented themselves as telecoms trade associations, but everybody knew this one's the challenges and this one's the incumbents. And so there's definitely something there, I think, where you're the new kid on the block and and you're sort of like um, super aggressive. Uh, then 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 you are in a different mode, I think, from somebody who's trying to sort of cling on sometimes actually to a declining market share. You know, you're trying to shore up the defences. Uh, around a particular sector, uh, and you've got some enemy who's far off, maybe a altogether different different breed of organisation. I mean, again, interestingly, the 
the thing that would often bring the telecoms companies together, whether they were incumbents or challengers, was the threat of guys like us in the internet sector. So they would, <laughs> yes. that was sort of pull them all together and make them much more united. So before we came along, they felt safe bashing each other. We come along and now it's, you know, we must defend SMS against all of these, you know, internet private messaging services. So they start to take a united view against us. So I think there are various sort of dynamics going on. Um, and part of it as well may just be this, you know, the internet companies do, and I'll, I'll say this sort of with a smile, they they do have a little bit of world domination in their DNA in that, you know, um, we talk a lot about this, the fact when you go on the internet, you can sort of access the entire world, you can get users from all over the world. And there is, you know, in most internet companies, if you ask them, scratch the surface, they go, yeah, I would like everybody in the world to use my service. Whereas a lot of other industries, you you sort of are playing to a smaller, more defined market. Your growth potential is limited, whereas internet companies think that their growth potential is infinite, and maybe that also well, affects uh, them. Yeah, and and again, you you sort of you get into this the the nature of the market. There are many people who would argue that technology markets are much more winner take all markets than many other <laughs> markets are. But I, I don't think that's entirely true. But I do think that the, the even the perception that this is true could actually create a very strange dynamic. But but let's. I, I want to sort of I want to to explore the new entrant incumbent thing a little bit more by just sort of giving um, a historical background and, th- and think about this right. Microsoft when they came along they were the young upstart against IBM and they really I mean they spoke about being the young upstart. They talked about big blue being slow and not able to to sort of come with the times. This was everyone should have a PC, whereas they thought that just a few people had need for or uh, should have access to computers. And then then suddenly Microsoft grows and they grow really, really fast, which is another component of this, I think, mm. the sort of the fast growth trajectories. And what happens, it ends up in this fantastic battle with Apple that I think has to be one of the most epic competitor battles that we've seen, the one between Microsoft and Apple, with with all of the ads where there was PC and Mac guy. Yeah. And they were just brilliant. They were brilliant. For those of you who haven't seen them, they're all available on YouTube. But they, they show you exactly what a new entrant incumbent tension looks like with the new kid on the block in this case the the apple guy is young and exuberant and with it and hip and pc is played by this this sad slightly overweight office guy who is sort of always getting into trouble with his technology and there is something there again you know the fast slow tension um, that, that exists and then apple stumbles and and sort of it, it sort of it really stumbles and Steve Jobs leaves and all of that you know that entire story is well known, and so what happens is that Google starts to fill the role that Apple filled previously, and Google becomes the challenger. And you do things in the cloud, and it's the internet, and you know Google has in turn followed on Netscape, that also was one of the challengers that said you know you don't need an operating system. And some microsystem saying that the network is the computer, and there is this sort of tension again. And and then Google, of course, grows very successful and is now challenged by companies first, actually uh, by companies like Facebook, but yes. today also challenged by any number of new entrants in, into sort of the information discovery market. It's it's there's a ton of competition here to be a sector where people say that there is no competition actually happening. But it happens between new entrants and incumbents in a way where where you have almost punctuated equilibria oriented around a single incumbent that's then unseated by either a change in technology 
which seems to be the most usual one, or by uh, a change in the use of technology. They yeah. start using the same technology completely differently. Exactly. And, and I think that, um, that, that it is that competition that I think perhaps is at the heart of the fact that, that companies don't get together on the policy themes. In fact, say quite the opposite. They end up sort of going out <laughs> and briefing against each other. And, and I certainly remember, you know, I was at Facebook when Google came up with its um, social networking product, which was Google Plus. Me right, remember? Oh God! No, uh, yes. <laughs> there were various, there were various incarnations. But and and now, you know, people. Well, we had Oracle as well. Oh, Oracle, yeah. Google Plus, yeah, yeah. And, so, and yeah, people yeah. sort of look at this now, and they kept there, and it seems to them like obvious that Facebook was going to win somehow. You know, you use the phrase twenty twenty hindsight. They are. It's obvious that Facebook was going to win, and and uh, Google was never a real threat. But actually, when you were sitting inside Facebook, Google did feel like a real threat. You know, they were going to come and take our social networking lunch. They were going to stick their social networking uh, app on the front page of every Android phone that they sold and they were going to squeeze Facebook off of those Android phones. That was the view inside Facebook. And I'm sure Google similarly kind of went, ah, oh, Facebook's building in search and they're going to, you know, steal our lunch because they're going to have people doing search and discovery through Facebook instead of coming to the Google search engine. And so inside the companies, it does feel like there's a real existential threat coming from this other company and I think that's ultimately then what leads to you thinking, well, what are your angles of, of leverage? How are you going to win? Obviously, you're going to compete on technology. But one of the other classic areas where companies compete is around policy. And so again, you yeah. do start going in and I bet we were briefing against each other. I was going in and and, and explaining how dangerous <laughs> Google was going to be. And I, I think I saw the slide decks from Google where Google was going in explaining how Facebook was hoovering up all of the ad market. So, so you end up in that, you know, counter briefing uh, position. Yeah. And there's a, there's a really interesting concrete example that I think, you know, won't be revealing too much to, yeah. to sort of dig into, which is which is the, the notion of data portability, where we had an early conflict between Facebook and Google, where, where sort of the general feeling from Google was that Facebook was hovering up contacts data and using it to feed its own network growth. And, you know, there was a TIFF and then... Uh, Google established something called the reciprocity principle, which said, if, if you do not have open APIs, we're not going to have open APIs with you. And at that point, we also decided to, uh, or Google decided to, to invest in data portability in a big way and make sure that you could take everything you wanted out of Google. And I remember distinctly having this discussion with people and say, well, Facebook don't have a data portability service at all. And uh, then you came up with something that was quite horrible. It's just a flat file. Yeah, right? yeah. Be, <laughs> and, and I remember these tensions and it was so interesting because I don't think we accomplished anything by doing no. that. I don't think there was any winner or loser in the data portability battle. But still, I remember that being a talking point that sort of came back to differentiate between what should have been joint interests instead if we had sat down and talked about it. But yeah. that, that doesn't seem to happen. It's 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 obvious that data portability is a good response for the industry now, I think, um, and, and that it helps the industry as a whole. But at that point, it was, you know, we, you, you, would, you would seize all opportunity to find distinctions. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, as you talk about that example, how many of the things that tech companies do that that you know you put it out there and you say this is a good thing like data portability and and yet on the other side uh there may be another company who perceives it actually as quite a hostile aggressive act and and the example that we're all living through at the moment if people are following it is is around apple's privacy settings where you know apple is 
putting out something which certainly do make uh, data more private. But the response from some of the tech com- other tech companies has been, whoa, hang on a minute, you're just doing that to kind of try and drive us out of business. And, and the, similarly with Google Chrome, I think, again, there's a debate going on there. And so when you, when you unpick it, I suspect it's, it's some of both, isn't it? You know, you, you come up with something which is a good thing to do, um, and it happens to align with your business interest uh, by sort of embarrassing or, and or damaging the interests of one of your competitor companies. And that seems to be, I say, a repeated pattern. So, so um, again, I think uh, I don't think it's too cynical or, or, or skeptical to kind of say, well, okay, company X has just you know gone out with a big fanfare and said, we've got a what, what was the Google's one called the Data Liberation Front, was it? Something like that. Yes, we've got this. Yes. You know, it's going to be branded as this like super wonderful tool, Data Liberation Front. You can both think that's a really good thing, and you can go, aha, <laughs> that's also, you know, an, uh, a thing where they're trying to have a poke at their competitor, and, and that's going to upset the competitor. And back to where we started, it's going to be really hard for those two companies to go and present a common view to the regulator or policymakers on something where one company is trying to poke their fingers in the eye of the other. Yes, but and, and it's interesting because that was one argument that we often encountered, wasn't it? I mean, if we came up with something like data portability, or I mean, if if, if Google came up with something like that, uh, then the others would say, "Oh, you can't release it because we haven't talked about it." But if you were to go to talk about it, it would just die in endless discussions because the companies couldn't agree. So at the heart of this is also an inability or an unwillingness to do something that's not invented here. Yeah. It's like you find this in the child sexual abuse imagery debate as well, where there are gazillion different ways of detecting these images, but no single industry standard, which is weird because an industry standard could be much more powerful. You have photo DNA from Microsoft, for example. You have the hashing technology that Facebook and Google engages with, but there is there is sort of no push to sort of build that thing. Or not that's unfair. There is some of a sort of standardization tendency there, to be honest. But I think there is no there is no broad industry umbrella organization saying this is how we'll do it and we'll make sure that everyone who has some kind of content platform has access to this microsoft smartly did this with photo dna they licensed that freely to others and and let that out into the market but they've always been smarter about standards because they sell so much to the public sector i mean consumer tech companies compete in a very different way than business to government companies do i think yeah and there's an interesting example because you're right i mean some of it again is in the in the engineering culture and and the uh, what we call hacker culture that that are you know people who are um very 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 good software engineers in the company will generally with some often quite good reason think that they can find a better way to do something than others Um, And actually, that's how these solutions get developed and improved upon. So you're right. And that then then acts as a sort of impediment to everybody doing the same thing. It may may be more that the smaller companies are more prepared to take an off-the-shelf solution. The larger ones almost invariably want to to build their own. But there's also in there uh, something which, again, you and I can share this experience that, uh, that I'm sure we both have, which is, you know, once you start talking about deploying the same technologies you then actually hit the other side of antitrust law, which is, oh, uh, am I going into a red zone here? So if if we, you know, shared content moderation technology, um, is that a sort of cartel-like uh, operation? Uh, um, so the open standard is is fine. Once you put it out in the open domain so that everyone can use it, that's great. But I, I certainly remember having conversations where you had to be very careful for good legal reasons 
that you weren't, yeah. weren't going to give you and the other company or the other small group of companies a competitive edge because you were only sharing something with yourselves and and that meant that each of you would have some kind of advantage in the marketplace um so so you say sometimes they say you can have a will to try and do things together but you've got to be very very careful from a legal point of view and again that's not a negative that's not we don't do this you know you cry competition law it's a genuine issue which is there is a line you can cross where you're you know uh cooperating in a way which is unfair to other people in the market yeah, and I remember several meetings about these kinds of standards where you had to sign a document at the beginning, sort of openly documenting that this was not in order to in any way distort markets, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And it was about but really important, simple content moderation technologies that would help everyone in the industry. And I, I, I do think, I mean, to my to my mind, it's it's sort of a situation where there's a there's a tragedy of the commons because everyone is so smart that they want to pursue their own solution, and instead of of looking at what the what the mean could be, we're all trying to optimize, and in that optimization, we're also seeking distinction. I mean, the the other kind of meeting that I'm sure that you often also ended up in was the strategy meeting where you know the, the discussion. I, I will sort of I will exaggerate slightly, but the discussion was how can we make sure that we break free from the GAFA that we're not part yeah. of the GAFA anymore. We we should sort of have to it be the, the GAFA. GAFA. The GAFA. The GAFA is Google, Apple, Facebook, and Amazon. Yeah. Sometimes with an M at the end, so as in Microsoft, but they niftily managed to sort of <laughs> be the older generation company and and not be involved in it as much as the rest of us were. And and it was an enormous amount of energy went into thinking about how. How can you distinguish yourself from the rest of the sector that you're being bundled with? And I now think that was a mistake. I, yeah. I think if if you look at sort of what the, the narrative is, what the discourse is, there's there's no way that you can suddenly not be big tech anymore. Yeah. If if you're if you're one of the companies originally identified with big tech, so so, it, but it's interesting to me because I think we were all very well intentioned and we really wanted to sort of showcase that the company we worked for was different and didn't do all of these horrible things right. that some of the other companies did, and 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 it's I think you it's a peculiar kind of group think that you end up in a sort of tribal mindset where you where you want to defend what you believe in and what you've decided to to ultimately devote your time to. I, I don't know. The mechanism there is fascinating because the obvious answer would be to say, okay, if we're all bundled together, let's start to act as if we're a single united group mm. and make really smart moves in order to dispel people's concern with the sector as it grows. Yeah. And it isn't. You know, the messaging, you're absolutely right, would be, you know, each of us trotting into a potentially a policymaker's office going, here is why we are different and special and better than the others. Uh, uh, <laughs> and, and I love the fact that the policymakers, they picked up on this and they were super smart. You got into a politician and say, I don't have a problem with you, really. I only have a problem with Facebook. Yeah. Like you talk to a German politician about the German Nets. Uh, the sort of Network Enforcement law. Act. Yes. yes, the Network Enforcement Act. They would say, oh, it's only because of Facebook. That's, yeah. you know, it's roughly, you know, if Facebook just had their act together, it wouldn't be a problem. And I'm sure that when you talk to them, they said the opposite and said that it was only about Google. Oh, no, no, no. They said it was only about Facebook. Just on that one. <laughs> I it really was only about Facebook. Yeah. Um, well, you know, that one might have been the, right. The but otherwise, I think. Proves the rule, yes. um, but, but then you would also, yeah, it reminded me, you, you get these um, 
instances again where you, where you say you're all trying to be sort of different and better than the others all the time and explain how you're different. Um, and some politicians would just say, pick up on that and go, but you're not, you know, you're, just, you know, you're just the same as the others. Uh, some of them wouldn't even be sort of polite about it. Um, but I say in some instances, some instances you generally are being targeted. And then you get the other syndrome, which I'm sure you had, which is, God damn it. You know, those people at Facebook are so terrible at dealing with X <laughs> hate speech. We're being dragged into this thing, and I often felt my oh, yes. Microsoft were in that position a lot of the time because they don't really have much user-generated content stuff, and yet they would sort of get dragged into debates that were really driven by YouTube and Facebook because they're about user-generated content. So there's that. God, why am I wasting time on this thing? Because those guys down the road can't get their act together. <laughs> they would always have to turn up at these meetings, for example, with the counterterrorism yeah. uh, task force, etc., and they would always grudge turn up because they also had to given yeah. all of their government sales they couldn't they couldn't afford to be seen as not cooperating with these initiatives but they were always very I mean one of the few times I ever saw them flinch was when somebody noted that Xbox Xbox was being used uh, oh yes for nefarious purposes and and they sort of they reminded themselves that they had this enormous network of gamers that they have I think yeah. And probably not necessarily thought of as a part of their core policy work. <laughs> and, there, and there would be those odd moments when, when we're sort of intensely focused on search as a problem and people searching, for example, for terrorist content being returned and the Google people would be on the spot. And then someone would go, and Bing, and they would go, yeah, yeah, and oh, Bing, yes. and then move on. Yes, and you're forced, if you're the Microsoft representative, you have to look up and look appreciative and yeah. nod, and sort of then it all goes on. Yeah. Yes, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> we are an important part of this conversation. Sorry, yes. This is, uh, we're, oh, we're having too much fun with this. Um, yes, we are. Well, we should back up. So let's mm. back, back up a little bit. I think one of the one of the insights that that comes to you as you work with public policy long enough is that, it is very rarely the case that you end up in a situation where you have a political problem that originated with politicians. Yes. It's much more often the case that you have a political problem that originated with your competitors talking to a politician about you. And so the, the, the way I used to think about this is to say that, you know, the public policy is not a two-person game. It's an N-person game with a ton of different actors who are all out to set a story and to set you in a story. And so you end up essentially playing to all of those other stories, trying to craft your own story in, in the midst of it. And I think that, that your point about other industries is really interesting here, because to the extent that industry can start to have a more cohesive story and start trusting each other, uh, it seems to me that they would have an enormous advantage when they talk to, to decision makers of different kinds, wouldn't they? But I think they would, and, and you're right. When we say uh, others causing trouble, it actually does remind me again, I think one of the reasons why F Facebook was always so much in the frame, and actually Google to a large degree, so Facebook and Google in particular, were that, that it wasn't just competitors inside the tech industry, but frequently it was competitors in other sectors, notably the, the media sector, who have an incredibly sort of And the telcos, voice. I think. And the telcos, and yeah. The telcos. So you get it from all sides. The telcos are going... Yeah you've stolen our SMS revenue. Uh, we don't like that. And the media companies, newspapers and broadcasters are saying you're stealing our advertising revenue. And and they're all going in and briefing governments uh, against you um, quite aggressively. And you have to say, look, it had, had it 
I mean, we, we did have sort of homegrown issues, um, uh, but had there not been all of that noise around them, would the atmosphere have been anything like as aggressive? And I think the answer is no. You know, you would have been having no. a, a conversation with a politician about stuff that does matter to them, but they, they wouldn't have, you know, just come from a series of meetings with other people saying that you're destroying the national economy or, or, or they wouldn't have been fresh from reading a newspaper in the morning where, you know, the latest uh, scandal related to Facebook or Google content was on page one, page six, mm. page 12. <laughs> I remember sometimes you pick it up and even get into the sports pages, you know, you would just get all the way through <laughs> the, the newspaper. There'd be like eight different references. And, and again, they were reporting on things that people cared about. But at the same time, they were doing it, you know, as competitors. They had a very strong vested interest in in reporting against yeah. companies that they themselves said were were stealing their revenue, as far as they saw it. So yes. Yeah. So I remember one of the things that I was involved with, and I think you were surely too, uh, were these peace brokering missions where you would try to meet with a publisher or with a telco, and you would you would sort of sit down with them and you would try to talk through what can we do to to actually stop fighting each other? Much like Google brokered peace with Microsoft after a series of really, really bad years that I think turned out to the detriment of, of much of the tech industry, frankly. And I, I sat down with a, a large European telco that should remain unnamed, and their story, and this is pretty well known by now, and it's a recurring story, was that they just wanted a level playing field, and they wanted to make sure that the over-the-top companies were subject to all of the regulations that they were subject to, and that they had to pay all of the taxes that they had to pay, and they just wanted this this level playing field and i i remember asking them i mean i'm i sort of get that but why do you always want to level up why do you always want sort of everyone to be under the same regulation when we could be you know a part of a, a group saying that well maybe telcos need to have a, a bit you know relaxed or liberalized regulation or reformed regulation for the future in order to 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 really develop and and they looked very you know they were very confused <laughs> they looked at me and said no 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 you don't see i mean this inflicts a lot of pain on us but that pain will be much worse for you because we have known this pain for so long <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, I, and that mentality surprised me and i think it it was it was eye opening to someone who also always thought that that companies are rational profit maximizers <laughs> and they're not <laughs> they're that they're sort of they're in these situations where where you get into almost tribal enmity the 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 reality is a sub optimization for everyone not just sort of for for the individual companies involved but also for the regulators who have to to deal with a ton of incoming and for the consumers who get the worst services i think yeah so i th- i think you're right that there is that um you know we want to inflict pain but i think it actually may be a little bit more rational which which is the notion that and while those guys are kind of roiling with the pain and the trouble of the new regulation, maybe, just maybe, we can sort of try and regain some of our mojo and get ahead again. So I think some of it is more rational. And, and we see it, we saw it on the media side where me- media companies would argue and say, you know, uh, the level playing field means social media should be regulated as publishers, which kind of is, is a nonsense at one level because it is completely different if you've commissioned some content and put it out in your publication in your name versus if you've simply got an open platform where other people can post their content. I mean, these are, these are apples and pears. They're not the same thing. And I think a lot of media company people knew that. But arguing for it, I think it's just a lifeline 
and and suddenly you know if we can create this doubt around social media companies where they all have to be super cautious and and not allow their platforms to be open then that is just relatively going to allow us to kind of get back into the game um i don't think it's for the public good but i can kind of see as a business why you might do that it's you know hobble your competitor uh in the hope that that will give you a chance to move ahead slow them down and create friction barnacles on the ship that kind of thing exactly and and and, but it's you know from a regulator point of view it doesn't make any sense at all i I use the example sometimes i think relevant here planes trains and automobiles you know i can uh sitting in london I could, uh, if I wanted to go to Edinburgh in Scotland, I could drive, I could fly, I could take a train, and, and they would all actually do the functionally the same thing, and they would get me that pretty, pretty much similar amount of time, end-to-end journey. But the three modes of transport are regulated very differently from each other because they have very different qualities, and you know the safety legislation of a plane is uh, is at the highest level. Uh, then train somewhere in between, and then cars. You know, the idea that you would regulate a car like you'd regulate a plane, where when you get in your car in the morning, somebody has to come and give you a safety briefing, (laughs) and and, uh, you've got to kind of have an oxygen mask that falls from the roof, all of that kind of stuff. Like, of course, we see that as a nonsense. A lot of the level playing field stuff is basically saying, well, you know, we're, we're a plane, we're an airline, this is how we're regulated, so you should regulate the cars the same as us because they do the same thing. Well, no, they do the same thing, but they shouldn't have the same regulation. Anyway, rant, rant over. <laughs> good rant, good rant. Made, yeah. made the point. Yeah. And, and and let's take let's take it back. So the the technology industry has had a, a problem with division in their ranks. Uh, it's it's an old problem. It's Microsoft versus Big Blue of the IBM. It's Apple versus Microsoft, and it sort of it comes probably partly from the speed with which the industry develops and this phenomenon of an incumbent and a new entrant coming very close in time uh, upon each other. Um, but now the industry is is arguably slowing down and it's becoming much more regulated and it will have to turn the regulation into compliance. And that compliance seems to me to be something that would open up a much more industry-focused, industry-centric form of collaboration between the companies. What, what sort of... Ex- Extrapolating from that, yeah. what do you think the world will look like in five years? Do you still think you will have the tech companies briefing against each other now that Microsoft and Google have have decided not to renew their truth? <laughs> no, I, I think it's different. This speed question that you've pulled out, I think, is critical. So again, if we, if we look at the car sector, you know, the the, the uh, traditional car manufacturers are worried about a Tesla, but they're not worried that Tesla is going to take all of their customers next year. It's that Tesla might, you know, steal 3% of their market share over five or 10 years from each of them. Um, because there's no way that, that everybody who buys a General Motors car this year could buy a Tesla next year. In the internet sector, the fear has been exactly that. You know, essentially that everyone is going to go from General Motors to Tesla next year. They're all going to go from, you know, Facebook to Google or Apple uh, in a very short space of time. And so that's what I think has really driven this this sort of um, urge to fight each other. I think you're right. If the market settles down, if now what we're talking about is we're worried that, you know, TikTok may take 3% of our market share or that YouTube may take 4%, whatever it is between the companies, if you're, then you're much more like the car industry. Uh, you're much more sort of worried at the margins and there's much less urgency 
I think, to go after each other as hard. You can still be annoyed that you're losing market share, but you're not. It's not existential. It's it's sort of at right. the margins. And so I think in that world, if uh, uh, you know, um, um, form will follow fact, as it were. If the fact is that we are settling down into a market where you know the major apps and platforms. Are, are have got a pretty strong market share that they're going to continue for the long term and they feel like they're going to continue holding those market shares for the long term, then, uh, you know, approximately those market shares, then I think we're much more likely to see a world in which they do start to work with each other. And I think you're right, some of the regulatory frameworks that are being proposed create the environment for that. Um, so, for example, you know, we talked about standards earlier, under this online safety bill in the UK, we talked about before, they they talk about lots and lots of secondary regulation, which are very detailed sets of guidance notes. So if there's a set of guidance notes that says, this is how you should deal with child exploitation material, it may well go into the detail of it, you know, these are the kind of tools you should use, these are how, how you should use them. And then then you would be much more likely to have the industry come together around that code and and essentially agree a common way of doing things, and they're not going to try and you know uh, uh, compete with each other on how well they they deal with those things. That they're all going to be settled into a common framework where they're going to implement the same measures. And again, arguably, you know, vehicle safety standards are similar to that. There's no you don't. You can't that, that, that is, yeah, I think that's really interesting because it also suggests that there is a huge task ahead for those companies that are now being regulated, and that is to establish as much as possible um, the granularity of those industry standards and the richness of them so that those industry standards become the place for uh, regulatory change. So you don't have to go back to the underlying law, but you can actually, if the world changes, you can change the standards, and new standards can be updated and negotiated within the industry, which gives you flexibility and arguably adaptability to to changing uh, ways of using the technology. So, so one of the things that you, one of the tricks you can't miss if you're in this sector today is uh, digging deep into standardization, which is a which is, funnily enough, I think one of the areas where many of the tech companies has performed really, really badly. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that now seems to be a core strength, right? Yeah, we'd have to. I mean, I, again, I remember as, a, as an example, um, a, a, there was an EU code of practice on disinformation, which, we've, again, we've talked about before. And the, and the European Commission at one point said, you know, we want uh, metrics. I think they still want them. We want key performance indicators. Here's the data we want from all of you uh, around you know, political advertising, for example. But each company does that differently. <laughs> There is no standard. Uh, they they all collect the data differently. Their systems are structured differently. I think you're right. What the regulatory framework would do once you move that to a regulated model, it's, it it will have to define what a political advert is, what the data points are that you need to collect around a political advert, and then everybody will have to implement that together. And and we talked about that in industry. We talked about well, we talked lots of areas about having these common standards. Never quite got there. And I think the external force of a regulator well by law it is going to require the companies to kind of uh, uh, implement the standard and therefore the company's own interest as you say is in getting together and working on the standard rather than just sort of sitting back or say like in the old world going into the regulator and each of them proposing to the regulator that there's a different standard and then it's sort of potluck whichever one the regulator chooses obviously as an industry you're in a much better position to sort of do the pre-work and then work collectively with the regulator for a standard that everybody can implement 
Um, but the key difference is that there will be a regulator forcing that conversation as opposed to just leaving it to the industry to have a multilateral conversation, which in most cases has not worked for all these, these reasons that we've discussed. And, you know, when you read that Microsoft, there was an article recently in Axios are now on a hiring spree for government officials or <laughs> public policy people. And they, they want to sort of hire as many people as possible. I think that's a good signal because they've always been, I think, among the best when it comes to standards and understanding the importance of standards, partly because of their background, again, in in uh, business to uh, business and business to government, where, where standards are absolutely essential for public procurement, for example. And I think that the way that these standards shape up could have some small competitive um, effects in the beginning. But if everyone chimes in and really digs into how these standards are shaped, I think they can be uniformly good for the entire industry. And it's, it's, a, it's a huge piece of work, though, because standardization is not simple. No. But I want to get back to, so I think this notion of speed, that there that sort of there is a stability, a stabilization of the internet economy, at least for the first wave, for the sort of consumer tech uh, internet economy, where, you know, the time to extinction used to be really short. Think Friendster, think MySpace, think Alta Vista. And you could really, you could be extinct within, as you pointed out, a year or so, and you could really disappear. That's no longer the case. I mean, what you see now is the kind of stability that allows, uh, if, you, if you look at it from biological terms, it's kind of stability that allows a, a phyla to diversify slowly and introduce new species and new, new variations of evolutionary solutions to hard problems. But what will happen now is that the, the amount of species will increase, not that they will be displacing or substituting each other. So it's interesting because you'll have more and more of these companies and they will certainly, you know, at the edges, I think they will they will gain market share, but you should not expect any one of them to disappear. That's another argument, I think, for collaborating more. Because when you were back in, in the day where you actually thought that extinction was a real possibility, why would you form those long-term collaborative relationships with other companies if, if you thought that they either wanted to get you off the map or that they themselves could fall off? I think the reality is that for the tech companies today, they should expect that their competitors will be around uh, for as long as they will. Yes. And that creates an entirely different um game plan i think yeah i think you're exactly right and and um you know once once some of these issues some of the sort of outstanding issues are settled where you might have sought an advantage then then uh, and you're all playing you know the same game and I, and again once some of the barriers have been you know put in place to an extent that protects all of the incumbents from challenges uh, and uh, you know we again talked about that I think that is the reality of a more regulated environment uh, we talked about it's much harder to get into pharma or get into car making because the regulatory standards require a, a certain level of investment I think once you're settled into that world it is it's very different environment from the one that we've been in um, ironically you know the the one of the biggest threats that now comes as we saw in the last, news last week is is that there is quite a strong political drive in a number of countries, no, notably in the new U.S. administration, um, to, to break up the companies, which we should say in, in an ironic way could, could kind of get us back to where we were before if it were to happen, where 
um, companies are feeling existential threats again and start behaving as though, though they're under existential threat. Um, and we'll see. There was a court case that was out last week, which which uh, was taken as as a sort of a blow against the move to break up. In this case, Facebook. It, it criticised the the grounds under which the, the court case had been taken. Um, but but the response has been a even more um, political will. Uh, there being even more political will to kind of change the legislation so that so that attempts at breakup might be more successful in future. Um, so we'll see. Uh, but again, mm-hmm. again, it's one of those dynamics in this competition space where where um, uh, sometimes the public policy one set of public policy objectives conflicts with another. The objective to have a sort of calm, orderly, well-regulated space, high standards on child protection safety, privacy, etc., may end up being in conflict with another public policy objective, which is, you know, cut these guys down to size. Uh, and at some point, they're going to have to reconcile. Well, and and you, you could ask the question if that is really going to work. If you look at sort of the, the attempts to to um, cut the, the telco industry up, it mm. reconsolidated after a couple yeah. of years. And now you have a fair amount of concentration, at least in the U.S. telco market. And I think that that is that is likely to happen with other industries that share some of those network characteristics. And I, I'm I, I'm sort of mystified by this focus on breaking large companies up because I think it's much more interesting to talk about what kinds of standards of interoperability, etc., exist between different companies. And it's I think it's it's um, it's one of those things where where we're being over-indexing on, on history. We're talking yeah. about trust busters and breaking things up, etc. We're not looking at recent history nor the nature of the technology that underlies these companies and how that will uh, then, I think, uh, lead to a reconsolidation if you actually do succeed in, in breaking these companies up. And so, but, but there's another interesting point here, and you mentioned competition. I think if you're in a future historian of the tech policy battles, one of the most interesting documents that you would want to have access to with your sort of FOIA request would be the kinds of contributions companies make to other companies' competition cases. Oh, yeah. Uh, that will, I think that is one of the things where I think that, that an industry can harm itself the most by sort of, you know, when they're, when they're contacted by a, a, a competition authority or they're contacted by somebody who's in, in a competition investigation and they're asked, so give us all of the give us all of the horrors on this particular company. And uh, some people choose to do so, some people choose not to do so, and send in an enormous amount of, of, of uh, stuff on this other company and feel very good about it because they feel that they've contributed to a, a more competitive environment. But what they also contributed to, of course, is some kind of retaliatory pattern. And that then goes on and on and on. I think that's that's something that when you when we write the story of the tech industry at some point, I think that will be one of the most interesting source documents will be the European Commission's yeah. uh, consultation with other companies. But of course, there, there is a workaround. Um which we can share because I, it's such an open secret that it's not a secret, which is that when you get invited to you know, submit to a competition authority why you think a company is terrible, like Google is terrible and has locked up search, um, you don't actually submit it in your own name. What you do is you fund a much smaller company <laughs> to submit it. <laughs> uh, and, you know, that was certainly what, I forgot what the fair search, is it fair search? The thing that, that I hold yeah. initiative and everyone knows Microsoft was paying basically 
Uh, I don't think that's libelous in any way, because it's well known Mike's were sort of paying to support organisations. I think let's, let's put it that way. Uh, and w- under the umbrella of those organisations, smaller companies were able to organise themselves to make complaints about Google. Um, and so there is that. that you're right. Well, it's not only what's there on paper, but what's the sort of um, uh, set of connections behind some of those submissions back to their uh, originating parties that I think would be very interesting. <laughs> Yes, that that will be very interesting, and and you know one of the things that I think really did happen with the Microsoft Google truce was that the industry stopped bashing each other for a while and started to think constructively about again how to develop institutions, how to develop standards, how to develop more be- mature behaviors really as an industry, and um, I, I I I'll. Without being privy to any uh, special knowledge, I was really intrigued to see that this was not renewed. And to me, I think it is a sign uh, that the cloud competition is heating up. Yeah, and that's something that's happening uh, quite clearly. But uh, I don't know what you think. What do you think? Why do you think that Google and Microsoft are not renewing their truce? I, I mean, maybe the cloud competition, but again, it may, may be back to this legal question that that I, you know, when you're when you're um, talking to other companies lawyers will come quite rightly again and make sure that you're not doing anything that breaches the yeah, or all the yeah, spirit yeah. of the competition law and it may, it may well be that given where they are both positioned in the market even so it could either be that the cloud competition is hotting up and they're trying to kill each other or it could be that the cloud market is now so significant that for them to be collaborating uh, starts to look cartel-like and, and therefore is problematic. And uh, you, I could imagine lawyers sort of pining in either direction. So it could be they they, have the, they want to cooperate, but they're told they can't. Uh, or it could be that they don't want to cooperate because they're now seeing each other as much more deadly enemies. And you're right, neither, neither of us have proved the insights, but those are my two hypotheses for, yeah. for the kind of that, that might have taken place. I mean, if you look at the pattern here, it's interesting because before they decide not to renew the truce, Microsoft came out quite publicly against Google and Facebook, mm. I believe, in Australia, for example, um, in a way that, that very clearly aligned them with government interests, saying companies should not have opinions on what kinds of laws are adopted in the country and i think i think the dynamic is going to continue to be really interesting with a company like microsoft that is so dependent on public sector sales yes and has sort of a a, a really uh powerful business model where where a lot of governments are relying on them and then these other companies that are going to fight against regulation uh probably uh with both tooth and nail and sort of it will it will be i think that's possibly an area where we're wrong where it won't stabilize but it will actually heat up over the coming years yeah i i, I mean f- fascinating um yeah the, the 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 business dynamics matter and and yes there are you know positions of principle and and i know the microsoft um policy team you know the long-standing uh, uh tradition of sort of deference to government and, and they're very principled arguments brad smith and others will articulate very good arguments why one should generally defer to government. They're a good political argument, yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah, at the yeah. same time, policy positions generally align with business interests as well. So you're, you know, you're not going to get to be articulating the policy position for a company unless it is aligned uh, reasonably closely with where the company itself wants to be. Um, uh, I think, I mean, Microsoft, uh, I mean, sorry, Facebook certainly have moved closer to that position and are more in the defer to government camp than I think they were previously. Not all governments, but but certainly. Um, 
human rights respecting governments. I think there has been uh, a shift there, and that may say may bring them a little bit closer to the the Microsoft position as well. Um, but out of all this conversation, I think the thing that you've come back to a few times, I'm finding maybe is the biggest uh, potential for for a new model is this talk about standards and the extent yeah. to which standards work. And so you can see something like like um, interoperability or data portability is is absolutely ripe for that, where you know you can com- compete like hell on your product offerings or something like an instant messaging service. Um, uh, and, and you can take different, you know, views on, uh, some aspects of it. But for the core questions for policymakers, things like encryption and data, uh, rest data in, uh, in transit, uh, uh, data being moved between different platforms, all of that could be subject to standards. Um, there is that possibility. And in fact, that's one of the things that's certainly been holding back the interoperability of, um, messaging services is that there are no standards for things like, um, encryption between different services as opposed to within a service. So, um, yeah, and just see how and I, that goes. And, and I think it's really interesting because it's if you go to so standards is one of those things that I like to nerd out on. Yeah. Also. <laughs> and I think one of the things that <clears throat> you can say about the internet overall as a technology is that it's probably the example, the most successful example of uh, humans creating de facto standards that work really, really well. The IATF is still an amazing phenomenon, horribly undervalued, horribly underrated. What they managed to do in order to sort of put together the internet standards that we communicate with. And also, I think the W3C was just amazing, but that was outside of the existing standard system. It was sort of a de facto set of standards that did not belong in ISO or all of the UN standards uh, associations. And we have this de jure standardization organization that has been, I think, really itching to get going on the internet, but that has unfortunately been controlled uh, through different UN organizations, etc., by by a lot of forces that are not entirely uh, forces for good. So it will be really interesting to see if I mean this is the real next big battle, I think, if you're if you're Google or if you're Facebook, it is laying out the standard space and understanding where you can build the institutions and standards that ensure continued growth, innovation and freedom and sort of not succumbing to those standards that are much more restrictive or or even in some cases uh, authoritarian right yeah but, and your reference to de facto is exactly right because uh, uh, we need to sometimes sometimes standards stare us in the face but we don't recognize them so there is a standard for data portability between social networking systems yeah uh, and that standard is uh, the context book in Android and iOS uh, for the for the context piece and your photos app again in Android and iOS. Those are, it is now trivial to take all of your contacts and all of your photos from one network to another because when you install a new app, it says, "Please, can I slurp up all of your contacts and photo content?" And you have this local copy that allows you to do that. So you don't need to go to Facebook to ask them for the data. You've got it on your phone and you send it off to the new. You think and so that's again raise a whole bunch of other questions, but it's really curious uh, again to see that that sometimes you're agonising over something where you think you need a standard, you think it's a problem, and the technology sort of quietly gets on and solves it. And the solve in this case was the aggregation of pretty much the entire using internet using population around two uh, mobile phone operating systems. <laughs> 
and then everybody else being able to code their apps uh, just to work with those mobile phone operating systems. Um, but they are hmm. the de facto screeners. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. And I think that in many cases, those de facto standards will probably benefit from from being elevated to the jury standards in a good way where they could enshrine a lot of the freedoms that they also contain, that these systems, you know, the benefits that these systems give, uh, mm-hmm. rather than, than have a standards that just imposed from the outside. And, and I, I think this is such an interesting area also because standards live long, right? The standards that you establish, they are going to be around for a long time. The HTML that you and I coded back in 1996 or 97 was not something that just came from outer space. It was an outgrowth of the SGML. Yeah. And, you know, the kinds of work that have been done among markup languages and standardizing them that had gone on for years and years before you ended up having the web. And so so the standards are generative. If they run in the right way, they can preserve benefits and freedoms, they can institutionalize certain patterns of commerce and interaction that that can really help an economy and help a society grow, I think. So to me, um, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a, I think this is a mind shift in many of the really big companies because they've been able to create the standard just by putting something out there and not having to rely on the standards organization. I think if you're, if you're sort of looking at this from at least the perspective where I'm sitting, those standards organizations are going to be crucially important for the next five, 10 years in tech policy. Absolutely right. And uh, yes, uh, they may be the trick or, or the, the so along with the regulation, it's the regulation and standard setting, I think that, that ultimately are the forces that, that will bring companies together and make them sit down um, and, and work together. And as I said, present this united front, which is from our start of our conversation, we certainly has not been the case in the internet sector to date. No, and uh, which I think we both agree would be enormously beneficial. Perhaps not earlier, perhaps those were the right decisions yeah. at the time. But uh, the point of time, the point in time that we are at now seems to suggest that collaboration beats beats a briefing against each other uh, by quite a large amount of, uh, of benefits. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, but we do have to, uh, you know, just as we close, uh, rewrite history and, and, and um, acknowledge that it was always Google that started it, never Facebook's fault. <laughs> yeah, right. I, is that, I would is that what like you said to on your side? Add, yes, well, no, I'd, I'd like to say that, you know, we had a principle of doing no evil whatsoever in the Google camp. Yeah. But then, you know, these new guys came up and what was their principle? It was move fast and break everything. And so you can just guess who you think is responsible for this. <laughs> I have to I have to admit, Facebook got caught more often. So you <laughs> in the press. But was was it more was it more wicked or was it just more careless? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think we need an in. I don't think we need an index of wickedness. If we, if we do, I think there are other candidates for it as well. Exactly. So. <laughs> and all in the very good. serving users. Yes. So let's close on that note then. That we believe collaboration and standards are the way forward from this point on. And that standards have been horribly underrated for a long time, actually. Yes. And uh, this entire podcast can be found at your website, Richard. Is that right? It is. It's at www.regulate.tech. Perfect. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And we hope you tune in again next week. <laughs>